Okay, here we go. Get your radio voice on. Yes. Well, I hate listening to my voice on recording, so... So good thing we're starting a podcast. Good thing. Uh, Well, here we are, big and white, coming at you live. Big and white. Not really live, but, you know, we we do our best. So I'm, I'm big... And I'm white, and together we are big and white. And you are listening to the Big and White Podcast, a podcast where we explore what it means to be a foreigner in Asia. So what are we talking about today, White? Well, in this week's episode, we'll be discussing what it's like to know even less about Kathmandu than we do, so that by the end of this episode we will feel even better about ourselves than we already do. So good about ourselves. Mm. I mean, we started a podcast, so. We hope to be as narcissistic as possible by the end of this episode. Except in this episode, we're not being narcissistic because we have our first guest today. Yeah, we're not going to be the only ones talking. I know you guys are really looking forward to it. And here we are with our first guest today. It's very exciting. And her name is... Picnic. Hello, Picnic. Hello, Picnic. Thank you for joining us today. I'm so glad to be here with you today. So glad to have you. So, um, Picnic has been in Nepal for less than a week, just visiting. So she pretty much knows everything about Nepal, right? Definitely, because I had a great tour guide. Awesome. Number one expert. (laughs) The big tour guide. (laughs) A company coming to you in a time soon. (laughs) Okay, so how this uh, session, this interview today is going to work is that for Picnic, we have written out questions for her. And we have given her almost all of the questions beforehand so that she is prepared. And there is one or possibly two questions that she does not know what they are. And we will be throwing that at her at some point during the show. Um, so we have all of the questions in a flower pot in front of us. And we will be drawing them at random. So here we go. Drum roll, please. Boom, chicka, boom, chicka, boom. <laughs> The first question is, do you want to live here now? <laughs> I had a great time visiting, but I miss the United States. What do you miss? Being able to drink the water in the shower. <laughs> <laughs> so creepy. <laughs> Stand in the shower with your mouth open. Well, Sometimes- it's better than the, sh- the water in your bath, right? So... We're thankful for that. Sometimes I just get a little thirsty in there. (laughs) You can be thirsty here. You're just going to get typhoid after your your thirst is quenched. (laughs) All right. Next question. What was your favorite thing you did in Nepal? That's tough. I had a lot of fun in Nepal. I think my favorite thing was taking a motorcycle ride out to the countryside because I got to see I've, I got to see a lot of Kathmandu and then I got to see a new town further away um, and explore some areas and see an, uh, another ethnic group and some more cultural stuff and it was beautiful nice yeah kind of interesting thing about Nepal is 
like oh, some people say if you've only been to Kathmandu you haven't been to Nepal mm. it's super different out once you get out just even just go like a mile or two out of the city yeah. and suddenly you're in a whole different world rice paddies and it's very villagey the culture is mm. different it's not the old you know giant metropolitan city that yes. Kathmandu is <laughs> okay here's your next question did you ever feel big and or white? Uh, at home in the U.S., I am shorter than the average bear. So I felt regular. I felt normal. I felt like I was the same size as everybody else. Same height. I was still whiter than other people. <laughs> <laughs> wider, not whiter. Whiter and whiter. <laughs> <laughs> And how did that make you feel? Were you glad to be normal? Did you feel sad? It was awkward because I kept slouching down to be shorter than people. And then I realized that I was just having really horrible posture, trying to adjust to what was normal to me. <laughs> good. I did that for about a year when I first moved here. And then I was just like, whatever, I'm tall. And every human comes up to my breasts. Mm. And I just accepted it. Yeah, I've been here a year and a half, and I still haven't figured out how to hug Nepalis. <laughs> yeah. Without that just, like, smushing their face into your cleavage. Smothering them in my boobs. <laughs> weekly. Weekly this happens. The death toll is just getting ridiculous. <laughs> All right, next question. What was it like coming from, coming from Europe to Nepal? So I started my trip in the U.S. and then stopped in Europe for a few weeks and then came to Kathmandu. Um, it was cool. It was really interesting kind of adjusting to a different Western culture and then coming to a more Eastern culture mm. and having a whole bunch of adjustments all at once. Um, I thought it was really cool. I got to fly through Qatar, which I always mispronounce, but I think I said it right, um, and seeing, I think, every culture ever on the way to the airport and then coming into Kathmandu and being exposed to a completely different culture. It was, I would recommend it. It was a really cool experience. What were some things that stood out to you that were really different from Europe than coming here? Um, a lot of things. Personal space is still similar in Europe and Nepal. People don't have very much of it. <laughs> in As opposed place. to America where you have to stand like five feet away from every human at all times. <laughs> Exactly. Um, they seem to be more kind of like the French in the sense that there's a pattern that I don't understand. And it seems like everybody's just kind of doing everything at once. But looking closer, and once I got more familiar with it, there were rules and people were safer than it looked like it was. <laughs> <laughs> you just perfectly described Nepal. Well done. Congratulations. We don't have a prize for you, but... <laughs> I when guess. we get sponsors, we'll like send you a gift card to the Big and White Travel Agency. Perfect. <laughs> I'll give it a five star review. <laughs> uh, this question is: Did your second language brain kick in? In i.e., you barfed up high school French you didn't even know was still in there, <laughs> trying to speak to someone. That happened to me in Europe, but it didn't happen in Nepal because Big speaks Nepali perfectly, and she just talked to all the Nepalis for me. <laughs> Nepalis always ask you how much Nepali you speak and I never know how to respond and they're like like 30% 60% like what does that even mean or they'll say does it all come <laughs> yes all the words come to me 
<laughs> all the English words don't even come to me. <laughs> I could ever say all the yeah. Nepali words come. A native Nepali speaker told Big that she thought it was really cute when foreigners spoke Nepali. <laughs> it's like, is that condescending or complimentary? Maybe both. I'll just smile and say thank you. All right. What was the most surprising or unexpected thing about Nepal? Everything in Nepal was a little bit surprising and unexpected to me. I kind of expected Mexico when I came here, and it's not like Mexico at all. Um, I think the thing that stands out to me the most is how nice all the Nepalis are and how warm and welcoming they are. Um, we wore saris to dinner, and as we were walking down the road, we got stopped several times. And native Nepalis, who we're dressed up as, told us how pretty we looked. Um, <laughs> completely unprompted, and I didn't know them. I don't think the people we were with knew them. Um, but I thought that was just very sweet of them, and they've been very helpful and very kind. Um, the other thing that surprised me is how... Everything is kind of in a courtyard, and from the outside, it's pretty nondescript. It looks kind of concretish, and it doesn't look like there'd be anything that you'd want to go see on the inside. But then the second you walk in, there's beautiful flowers and lots of colors, and um, everything is really well done and beautifully decorated. But you maybe wouldn't know just walking down the street. That's true. People sort of hide the beauty of their gardens with big, tall gates. Come on, share that beauty, guys. Rude. Don't make us climb over those gates. <laughs> I have never done that. I have not woken my landlady up at two in the morning and had her run out thinking that I was a thief. That has definitely not happened to me. <laughs> okay, next question. These are the surprise questions. Oh. Are you ready? I'm, un- I'm completely unprepared for these. Did you see any monkeys? I didn't, and I was so sad. Because I was warned about them that they might try to take my water bottle and open it. But in a different but related monkey experience, the first time I rode onto a um, I rode on a motorcycle, I held onto Big's back like a baby monkey clinging (laughs) backwards on a pig. For those of you who don't know, it's a very specific YouTube video reference. Go look it up. You'll have the song stuck in your head for days. You're welcome. Um, how about any other animals that you saw around the city that maybe you didn't expect to see? I saw pigeons, which I'm very used to seeing, but I didn't realize that they were lucky. And judging by the amount of pigeons that we saw, everybody in Nepal just has the best luck ever. We'll be sending you home today with a pigeon. You're welcome. <laughs> Is that my gift? gift to you. <laughs> My prize for winning the perfect answer for yes, Nepal. <laughs> absolutely. And if you don't want a pigeon, we'll just like make one poop on your head and send you off to the airport in true Nepal fashion. I hear it's good for the scalp. It really, really a great is. conditioner. Best conditioner. Massage that right in. <laughs> that is a service we do not offer. So you'll have to do that yourself. Well, Picnic, we're really glad that you joined us today. Um, do you have any questions for us? Thanks for having me, Big and White. I do have questions for you. I've, oh as I've hung out with the expat crowd, I noticed that there's a common thread that you guys all love to talk about. And if you're listening and you're squeamish, you should maybe change the channel. The expats love to talk about their poop. Okay, honestly, though, we don't actually talk about it that often. I just feel like it's that thing where, like, 
once you have a topic of conversation, then it keeps coming up throughout the week because, like, it's sort of at the forefront of your mind, you know what I mean? Am I crazy? Tell me I'm not crazy, White. I would say that our toilet, uh, what's the word? Our toilet schedule is very important to us, and we like to make sure that everyone is healthy, in their life here, right? So maybe we talk about it more than we realized we did. <laughs> I was saying how Picnic was very impressed with all my friends and that her main number one thing that she said was good about them was that they're willing to talk about poop. <laughs> so we were talking about this with our other friends and our friend, let's call him Gorilla, <laughs> just like looked very awkwardly at us and said, I'm very regular. <laughs> it's like, well, maybe it's not a big deal for you, buddy, but the rest of us think about it all the time. I mean, to be fair, did you ask me had I pooped when you came in my door this afternoon? <laughs> no. Yes, you did. <laughs> I did. <laughs> Okay, I accept it. We talk about people. <laughs> and that's why we created this podcast, so you're welcome. Just kidding. We don't talk about poop on the whole podcast. Look for future episodes where we hide Easter egg gems <laughs> discussing our poop. <laughs> anyway, what was your actual question? My actual question, because I think you would have more detailed information about it than me, I think the Nepali bathrooms are very interesting. Because they combine your entire bathroom into one room. So I was wondering if you guys could go into more detail because I thought that was a very interesting Nepali life factoid. And I thought your listeners might think it was interesting too. Yeah, that is true. I, I think it's it's generally an Asian thing to some of the fe- features. But maybe unique to Nepal is that... The whole bathroom gets wet all the time. So the usually you have the sink and the toilet and the shower are all in the same room, and everything is just tile with a drain in the corner. So when you shower, don't worry, also your toilet gets wet, also your sink gets wet. And some bathrooms are set up so that you the toilet is at the very far side of the bathroom. That way, after you shower, you don't have to walk past the toilet because that would make you ritually unclean. Um, after your shower. Also, maybe just science unclean, <laughs> depending on your, your how aggressive your flushing situation is. <laughs> uh, one thing I also really like about Nepali bathrooms is they have water accessible for cleaning the bum area. So there's some different options. One, some call it the bum gun. <laughs> <laughs> Is it just you that calls it that? I've never heard that. No, I learned that from someone else. (laughs) Uh, Our friend Gorilla, who I was just mentioning, calls it the power washer, power hose or something. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like a lot of chafing. But anyway, it's like, it's a bidet hose. So it's on this hose and then you got a little sprayer at the end, sort of like a pesticide sprayer. (laughs) 
<laughs> and you use that to rinse off your bum and it gets extra clean. And then my strategy is after I do that, then I like to use toilet paper to keep everything nice and dry because nobody likes a soggy crotch. So White, I'll let you talk about the other option for using water to clean your bum in the toilet. So the, what was it called? The bum gun, as you called it, is kind of like the fancier, more modern option, but pretty common. I'm so toilet classy. Pretty commonly, you also just have a bucket, and there's often just a tap that's sitting, or, you know, a little bit up from the floor, and that goes straight into the bucket and then you also have some kind of pitcher or jar or old mountain dew can or (laughs) peanut butter jar or basically any empty container that you can get water in and then onto your left hand and then you take care of whatever needs to be taken care of with that We'll uh, ask you to come to Nepal and figure that out for yourselves. Um, for my own toilet, I have an interesting situation where it's kind of a mix of a squatty and a regular toilet. So if as an adult, you have ever gone back into your kindergarten or preschool and sat down on that toilet and you almost killed yourself and your knees hurt really bad because they like hit your chin that's kind of what my bathroom situation is like um and my toilet is also made of plastic so bright mint green plastic yeah that's a fun fact (laughs) every time i come to white's house and i go to the bathroom i forget and i start sitting down and it's like you expect to reach the toilet and you don't and you keep going down and you have this like Time slows down. You have this moment of fear, like, it's not there. I'm never going to reach it. (laughs) Then you do. You do. With a crashing down, you reach it. Well, um, Picnic, do you have any other questions for us? I have one more question for you. What, for both of you, what is your favorite thing in Nepal? Oh, man, that's really hard. It really is. Well, I'll talk about one of my favorite things in Nepal, which is not necessarily unique to Nepal, but I think is a benefit of living overseas in general, is I just love the expat community here. It's really fun to meet people who are from literally all over the world. We have colleagues and friends from all parts of Asia, from Europe, from Africa even, and Yeah, I just feel like I've really learned a lot from hanging out with people who have such different cultural backgrounds and who can kind of help me. I feel like I can pick and choose the parts of their cultures and their values that seem awesome and start to incorporate those into my life. And I feel like I've become a better person for it. And it's just super fun, too. And I think especially in Nepal, the type of people that move here are amazing. Boring, lame, basic people do not come and live in Nepal. That's true. How about you, White? I think one of my favorite things about Nepal and Nepalese is that Nepalese take everything in stride. Like nothing phases them at all. They don't get mad at things. They just say, oh, what can you do? And keep going. Um, 
And an example of this is when me and uh, Big, yes, when Big and I uh, were out in a village together, and we had been out for about a week at this point, so we thought we kind of knew what was going on. And so we had been in the same room with our other friend that we were with. Um, and how Nepali houses are usually set up is that there are three or four beds that are basically as many beds as you can cram into this one room. And if there's not beds and you sleep on the floor on mats or something like that, but basically you don't have private bedrooms. You just kind of sleep wherever. And so if you're guests, then you're usually given the nicest beds. And so again, we've been staying in the same room as our colleague. And so we're shown this room and we're like, oh, great. Here's where we're going to stay. I'm so tired. We've been talking in Nepali this whole time. So let's just lay down in bed and relax a little bit. So we get into bed and we start finding things under the pillows. Oh, no, there's a book under here and a phone. And this is just kind of awkward. What am I supposed to do with this? And then the mom of the house comes in and says, uh, sisters, here's your room over here. We thought it would be nice if you had your own room. So we found out that we'd been trying to go to bed in her poor son's bedroom or in his bed when he needed to go to bed to be able to get up early and go to school the next morning. He's like, mom, the foreigners are in my bed. What do I do? But they were totally cool about it. And they're like, oh, sisters, yes, your room is over here. Can I show it to you? <laughs> well, picnic. Thanks again for joining us. This was really fun. Glad to have such a great first guest on our first podcast. Yeah, you rocked it, girl. Oh, thanks. I had good support. This is my first podcast as well. It's always good to just be on a team of ignorant people. <laughs> no one here knows what they're doing. Ignorance is bliss. Usually. <laughs> All right. Speaking of ignorance, it's time for our segment of the day. Today we're talking about language and Nepali specifically. <laughs> Which you might notice we do a lot on this show. Yeah. We kind of like it. Maybe we forgot to say this in the first episode, but we're both linguists. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of our job. But you guys are all our friends, so I hope that you know our profession. Also, we hope that you are all amateur linguists because it's like engineering, but for every person because everyone speaks a language. It's like the best. It's basically profession. the number one subject that everyone should care about all the time. And we're we about just assume that you care about it because we care about it. <laughs> exactly. We're about to tell you why it's so cool. So today we're talking about a fallacy of monolinguals. So I think if you only speak one language, you may feel like there's an equivalent word for every word in your language in another language. Wow, that was confusing. Mm. Okay, let's talk about this. Let's call it the one-to-one -one ratio fallacy. I just made up that name. Wow. Sounds... Groundbreaking here on Big and White. You heard it here first, folks. <laughs> you know it. So... Let's give an example because this happens a lot. So if you are working with two languages that are in the same language family or like related, then it's a little bit easier. So like if there's a word for something in English, there's probably a word for it in German and vice versa. But 
when you're working outside of your language family, you're less and less likely to find like one concept has the same number of words associated with it. So let me give you an example to help you understand this. So in English, we have the word rice. And you may think there's just one thing that is represented by that set of sounds. Rice, right? Rice is rice is rice. However, in Nepali, there are at least three, up to six words, <laughs> probably more, actually. It's just the ones I can think of off the top of my head that mean rice. So they're basically more specific. So in English, we would call rice like the cooked stuff that you eat, right? Rice. Mm-hmm. There's one word for that in Nepali, which is bat. This is going to be a test. Can I remember all the Nepali <laughs> words? But there's also a word for the rice before you cook it, when it's all dried out, like how you buy it at the store. And that is chamo, right? Mm-hmm. And then... There's another word for rice when you're growing it on the plant, and that's dan. So there's three words already for what we just would use one word for in English. But then there's also other versions of it like beaten rice, mm-hmm. which maybe we don't even have in America. And it's it's like an oat consistency, but it's made of rice. I don't even know how they manufacture it. Do you? Probably people like in a vat, stepping on it until it's flat. (laughs) Beating it (laughs) like an abusive husband. Um, And there's also puffed rice. So we we use adjectives for this in English. But in Nepali, there's just one word because this concept is so important to them. So that's that example. And... I have a funny story about, forget, there's like too many words for rice. I'd been living here a while and I was at the store and there was a British guy who didn't speak Nepali and he was looking for just a bag of uncooked rice. And he was like, oh, I'm looking for this. So I'm like, mm, I'll help. <laughs> and I go to ask the store owner like, oh, do you have this? But I could not remember the right <laughs> word. So instead of like, instead of the word for the type of rice you buy at the store, I think I said the word for the, I either said beaten rice, which is like not even close, or I said the word for rice as it's growing on the plant. Like, excuse me, sir, do you have a rice patty in your (laughs) store? (laughs) He just looked at me like, what? I think he figured it out, but it was embarrassing. Uh, Nepalis are so kind to us when oh we're learning language. They try to understand so much. <laughs> Even if they don't understand, they just like smile. Yeah. Oh, man. So White has another example of this, but it's the opposite. Yeah. So in uh, English, we have a lot of words to describe. Uh, this is hard to explain, actually. In English, (laughs) let's start out with three words. So we have the word acne. We have wound. We have cut. Bruise. And bruise. So there's lots of words. And these are all kind of revolving around things that happen to the skin that you'd probably don't want to be there, right? But they're specific. They each have, it's called like a semantic domain. Like it's it's a specifically defined thing that that Mm -hmm. word is referring to. But in Nepali, they don't have that same semantic domain. They call it one word, gal. And yeah, so you could say, oh, yeah, I have a 
Gao, which basically means wound. Oh, I have a wound. And that could mean I got a blister on my foot. I have a bruise. I have acne. I'm bleeding profusely. It's all a gao. Um, and so when I was, when I had first moved here, I maybe had been here six months or something, and I'm doing language learning. And my teacher is the sweetest Nepali lady ever. Um, she's such a kind person. And she was teaching me how to talk about, uh, like full of, or like a whole day. Um, and it's one word for this. And so she was using, (laughs) uh, she used my face as an example. So I'm just going to say the Nepali. She said, she said to me, so literal translation is your face is full of wounds. And she's talking about my acne. (laughs) Nothing like the old, like, you know, self-esteem boost in the middle of your language lesson. So I was instantly like, oh. (laughs) Like, what can you say to that? Remember, she's like the kindest person ever. So I went like through a teeny tiny bit of culture shock in that moment. (laughs) Oh, that's not mean. Okay. (laughs) So sometimes... You just kind of have to laugh at things like that. <laughs> laugh so you don't cry. <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh, man. Good times. So now you know that sometimes languages do not have a one-to-one ratio yeah. of words. Mm-hmm. All right. Let's move on to dun, 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 listener mailbag. <laughs> Woo. So excited. All right, so this is from one of our friends who I'm going to call Chartreuse. Um, We were talking about how awkward it is to be so big and white here and that we still don't know how to actually hug Nepalis. And so Chartreuse has helped us with this. So for any of you people who might also be in a big context um, and you're struggling with this issue... We're here for you. We have a specialist who has chimed in to help us. So Chartreuse says about the issue of not knowing how to hug people. That's actually a very common problem amongst us talls. The first thing to remember is that you hug from a distance. You establish the desired configuration with your arms stretched about and then maneuver towards the other party. When it comes to shorter partners, there are a few basic options. The first is one of my personal favorites for children and very small adults, which is dubbed <laughs> the Hugalanche. As the name indicates, you open your arms highly and then drench them in arms and body heat. This maneuver, however, leaves children, which are about the knee level, gasping for air. <laughs> The second is slightly awkward, which involves a squatting technique applied to the classic overhug. The only problem with this is that the knees can become a problem and it creates separation. I hate to say this, but this is one of those scenarios where the, quote, Christian side hug may be best applied. It feels slightly disingenuous, but can be supplemented with kind utterances and a prolonged grasp. But yeah, I feel your pain. Thank you so much, Chartreuse, for chiming in. I'm going to try this out 
um, on a Nepali friend as soon as possible. I really appreciated the very specific descriptions. I think that's something that will stick in my mind for a while. <laughs> the hug lanch coming soon to a Nepali home near you. I might try it Whether out you want too, it or not. with Americans and see how it goes. Do you have really tiny American friends? Some. I have one. You know who you are. You better be listening <laughs> to this podcast. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you guys so much for listening to episode three of our show. Before we go, I just want to remind you, follow us on all the social medias. We might have a Facebook. We definitely have an Instagram. (laughs) Yeah, we do. Because we have a solid millennial (laughs) (laughs) as one of our podcast hosts. And our handle is Big White Podcast. So check us out. We post funny pictures of things in Nepal and just round out the whole podcast experience with visuals that way. You can also email us if you want to be part of listener mailbag. Our email is bigwhitepodcast at gmail.com. All right. And just as a reminder about the big white secret, please Keep our identity a secret. Don't uh, link our podcast to any of our personal accounts or use our actual names. Remember, I am white. I am big, and you better not mix us up, Mm. girlfriend, Mm -mm. boyfriend. We take all kinds here. Mm -hmm. Yep, yep, we sure do. Um, Yeah, so thanks for keeping our identity safe. And thanks. So we're like secret agents. For listening. Okay. Yeah, you guys rock. All right. We'll talk to you next week. Bye. Bye. Okay. La. Okay. 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 Great. Bye. Bye. Okay. 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 All right. Bye. Okay. Bye. 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 Bye.